Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to another edition of Life Behind Bars. I'm Noah Rothbaum, the Daily Beast Half Full Editor. Joining me as always is my colleague and co-host, David Wandrich. How are you, Dave? I'm doing okay. Yourself? I am well. I, I feel like I'm being taken over by books in my house more than <laughs> usual. Um, you and I are no stranger to um to to reading and writing books, obviously. And uh I don't know, it just it seems like it's become even more out of hand recently with, you know, uh ever more new drinks books to read, but also, you know, every time I feel like I've read, you know, all the vintage ones, suddenly I find out about dozens of other ones that I've never read, never heard of and have to read. So it's just like a, I don't know, like a, uh, you know, a river of books. It seems. I look about, <laughs> I, I look upon it as like, you know, the stacks of books, that are everywhere I, I can see. I look upon that as adding insulation to the house. So. <laughs> yes, yes, I think that they, they make good insulation. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I'm, I'm well insulated right now. Very well insulated. I'm sometimes worried that the piles may topple over us and uh, hurt us, like the Collier brothers. But um, you know, hopefully, hopefully that's not our fate. <laughs> uh, I, I hope not. And also, of all the ways to go, you know. <laughs> That one's not so bad. That, that's true. It's true. Well, we we have uh, you know an interesting show today with two other folks who I think you know possibly might even love old drinks books more than us, which I know sounds hard to believe, but it is true. true uh, um, our, our friend uh, Doctor Nicola Nice from uh, Pomp and Whimsy Gin Liqueur. And also Lizzie Young, the antiquarian bookseller who used to be in Brooklyn, but is now in uh, Newport, Rhode Island. Um, both of them, you know, uh, know quite a bit about um, vintage drinks books and also about drinks books that, you know, a lot of other folks, you know, haven't read yet or haven't even heard of yet. New places to look. I mean, that's, you know. <laughs> I'm excited and a little scared because I know I'm going to have to make <laughs> some more room on the bookshelves or yeah. buy a new bookcase for these books but um you know such is life but uh, i i'm excited uh to hear about uh what, what they have to say and all the books that they recommend this should be fun welcome nicola and lizzie thank you for joining us today we appreciate it hi thanks for having me dave and i are obviously huge fans of uh new and vintage cocktail books. Uh, I think we've been uh, collecting and reading them for decades. You know, it seems like now they're super trendy. And when I remember we... when they were cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, I think certainly you probably have a, an even larger collection than I do of, of, of vintage books at this point. I, I do and I don't because I had to stop collecting you know, with any seriousness about 10 years ago when they started to get just really expensive. 
even after writing a book on Jerry Thomas, I still don't have a first edition of his cocktail book, for instance, because it uh, it was always just hovering right outside of my price range. And now it's up to like, you know, something like $3,500, which seems like a lot of money to pay for a cocktail book, I have to say. So uh, my collection slowed down some, but uh, yeah, but I'm always looking for new areas to move into, which is uh, one of the things we could talk about. I know uh, Nicola has done a bunch on of, of, of looking into that, and I'm sure Lizzie has some uh, some good insights on on uh, places to look. So, David, you do not have a first edition of Jerry Thomas, really? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's funny. You have some of the other I have ones, his though. business card, for instance. Right. Wow. Hand-drawn and everything, or at least photo-reproduced from one of his drawings, but I don't have his his first edition. <laughs> Yeah, I have a second edition right now on on hand, um, and that's going for like two thousand. That's the uh, yeah. The 19- that's even rare. That's much rarer. The second like- edition is very rare. That I have because people didn't know what they had because it's a paperback. I have the one. I think it's what the eighteen eighty seven one. The one that's like was printed. The covers in red and, yeah. and some other ones yeah. and that that's one the is second edition that's the one that i have um on hand now well okay right. that i think that's actually the third edition because <laughs> there was a second edition in 1876 that uh, this is getting very geeky I that know. had the same cover as that one oh but the content was the same as the first edition plus this appendix of weird new drinks from New York, basically. Oh, right. And uh, right. that one's yeah. almost impossible to find. What our discussion, you know, points out is also that like there were many more copies of Jerry Thomas's book than the price would belie. Like it was mass produced. It wasn't like, a, you know, some books, you know, there's a run of 50 books, right. You know, or a hundred books and and that's it. Where Jerry Thomas's book, you know, they were pumping it out for decades. It's, it's, it's almost never been out of print at this point. So there are all types of the Herbert Ashbery uh, editions where he wrote a, a forward who also wrote the Gangs of New York book and all types of Jerry Thomas books. They still turn up in oh yeah yard sales. And it was a best seller but just like cookbooks and children's books they get used that's kind of the issue is that the books that do get used which is fantastic of course because we want to use our books um are the ones that suffer because they get you know things spilled on them and you know children pulling them apart or you know (laughs) getting the dog you know whatever like so that's why they become you know a lot of people just have their books in their shelf but these are the these are like working books well, I have a uh, copy of the Savoy uh, Bartender's Guide from 1930 that my oldest friend, my friend Kenneth Goldsmith, I've known since I bought firecrackers from him when we were 14. <laughs> uh, his uncle was a rent collector in some unsavory neighborhoods of New York City back in the day, some pretty tough neighborhoods. Uh, he always carried a gun. But when he got home from collecting rents, he opened the Savoy book and made himself a cocktail. Wow. And this book is in terrible condition. <laughs> but, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I mean, it's falling apart and it's, it's marked every drink that he made. Like he checked off the list and he That's went amazing. through it over the decades. 
the covers are off, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, for me, that's a, that's a valuable thing. <laughs> I have to say that one of the things I love about finding in books is hand, like the, the opposite of what people would think, but like handwritten notes, things that people leave in books, like, mm -hmm. like hand, like um, uh, recipes and remedies written on the back of, of other things. Um, and it just tells this whole story because it becomes like this, this more than the book. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Actually, I think that the, the books become more valuable to me, the more uh, insight I could get into who used them and how and why. Um, those kind of stories, as you were saying, David, are to me where the, the real value is, even if that doesn't translate into monetary value. I couldn't agree more. I mean, but I, I think it's the difference between people who use the books and people who are just, you know, collecting them for uh, investment. Mm. And if you're using the books, the more information you can get, the, the better. You know, the condition doesn't matter. What matters is is the culture behind it. Right. Well, and I think the Savoy one is a is an interesting book too, because, you know, it, that's also one that has always been collectible because it's so beautiful. So people who love, you know, Art Deco items, people who love design, you know, it was one of these things where, you know, that was something that was always prized and saved, which is fairly mm -hmm. rare. And, and, and I think a lot of the attention goes to the Jerry Thomas's and the Savoy cocktail books, you know, but, but really there are a lot of, I mean, there are, hundreds yeah, of other let's, ones so let's talk I mean, about some of the things that that people uh that you know collectors haven't uh, been pouncing on quite so much even though this will ultimately hurt dave and i and our <laughs> collecting ambitions because <laughs> everybody will will now look for these books too but but we're willing to do it for the greater sacrifice for exactly. the greater community so yes what are some of the ones you know that that people have overlooked or, or don't even know exist that would be you know that have a really a lot of information about about cocktails and spirits i think the interest for me has always been less about who originally wrote about cocktails and more about who may have popularized them and so mm -hmm. in my research what i was really looking for was the places where if i was a woman 100 years ago or 150 years ago who was entertaining my household where would i have found my recipes would i have looked to something like a bartender's guide or would i have looked somewhere else and i think that's where i really got led down this path of a treasure trove of um, cookery books um, entertaining books etiquette guides and household management guides where i found lots and lots of drink recipes with advice, not just on how to, to make beverages and the ingredients that go into them, but how to serve them, how to hold a toast, <laughs> the order of <laughs> events. Um, and it's to me that sort of, uh, as I said, that kind of cultural nuance that makes it really fascinating to me. I mean, I can, I can Google how to, how to make a specific drink, um, but, but how to really serve it is a different question. This is this is part of the uh, the drinks world that's been that has definitely been neglected, you know, for various reasons. I think uh, uh, collectors are such sharks that there are many reasons to uh, to collect books, and they would have jumped on these had they had they uh, <laughs> noticed uh, or realized their importance. But they they were indeed uh, very widespread. The first drinks book I or the the first book with a pet recipe for punch. 
was uh, Hannah Woolley's Queen Like Closet, the one book I would mm-hmm. give more than anything to have a copy of from mm. 1670. You know, I mean, wow. that's uh, that's really the beginning of, of everything there because, uh, all, you know, all the other mixed drinks kind of stem from punch. Right. And that's where it made it on record. And, and it was a popular book. Lizzie, is that one that you ever see in, in your shop or is that yeah, I've seen it on other people's um in other people's booths uh at um at book fairs which actually this is the most beautiful thing this is the only good thing about what's going on right now in the world is I am actually um duly doing this podcast and sitting in my virtual booth at the New York book fair. <laughs> oh, there, there you go. <laughs> you can be two places at once. Yeah, I love it's it. Amazing. Yeah, but yeah, I've seen, you know, um, a lot of British dealers, um, you know, have some of the really, you know, the ones that you can't get your hands on for some ridiculous prices. So, yeah. I mean, these are the, these early uh, women's uh, cookbooks that they had a lot of drink stuff in them. I know. And, you know, this was at a time when women were the bartenders in England. Right. Weren't they that they were the tavern holders, right? I mean, they were the people who were where we're, you know, owning and running these taverns. There was a system where things were run on a kind of a family basis, usually. If there was a male in the family, uh, he would be the tavern holder, and the daughters would be the bartenders, and uh, this, the sort of alternate tavern holder would be, would be the, the, the wife in the family. And uh, it, seemed, it seemed to work like that. But uh, often there was no male, in which case it would be the senior uh, woman in the family would be would be the tavern holder mm-hmm. and, the, you know, the landlord. But uh, but the actual mixing of drinks was usually done by young women. And that was perfectly normal. And there are all kinds of pictures of women sitting behind the bar with the punch bowls stacked around them, you know, <laughs> waiting to fill them and. Uh, and serve them out, and uh, you, you go to the British Museum, and you can find uh, find them in their print collection. And it, it's always very, very cool. You know, it's like this is a a world that we're so used to the American model, where the men kind of threw their elbows in and edged everybody aside. But uh, that was not the uh, universal model. There was a writer um, in the early 1800s who went by the pseudonym Mistress Margaret Dodds. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, yes. And ha- that name was actually taken uh, from a local landlady. <laughs> so her real name was um, Isabel <laughs> Johnson. Uh, but she, her book that she published in 1826 the Cook and Housewife's Manual um, has lot, so many recipes for um, not just making drinks, but actually distilling and brewing as well. Um, so that's, a, that's it's interesting sort of crossover there with what you're saying. I used some of her recipes in my punch book. That was an important book and ex- exceptionally detailed, as I recall. And I think you're right. I mean, I think that it's not just cocktails, but it's also like this idea of like how to stock your pantry, right? And it's it's making different, you know, uh, compounding spirits, some distillation, brewery, brewing information, and you know, even how to what to look for in 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 buying spirits. So it's 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 interesting. I mean, the it's usually you know one chapter among many chapters of advice on at a butcher animals or you know jam or you know they it is very detailed and it's very you know advice driven so i mean it, it kind of gives a lot of insight into both 
the drinking also had a, you know, had a produced spirits, which we also see in some of the early cocktail books where people are making, you know, whiskey in quotes, you know, by, you know, uh, coloring and flavoring neutral spirits. So uh, it definitely gives you an insight into sort of the larger liquor world. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually looking right now. I've got a copy of um, Hannah Glass's The Art of Cookery, made plain and oh, yeah. easy, 1760. And there's uh, chapter 20, distilling, to distill walnut water, to make black cherry water, to um, distill red rosebuds. Ooh, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. I mean, you know, there it was still there was still that medicinal uh, uh, aspect to spirits. Again, you know, this is before even aspirin. Uh, so, what did you have that was really effective that doctors had? I mean, there there wasn't much for treating anything that that uh, would make you feel better. Alcohol and opium right. were the main ones, I guess. Right. Some of my favorite manuscripts that I come across, the handwritten ones, they are produced do-si-do, which means um, they're written um, one side and then you turn the book over and it goes the other way on the other side. And then there's recipes yeah. one way and remedies the other. You know, that was considered within the, the women's realm of competency right. in, uh, and so strongly other than, you know, professional doctors that hardly anybody ever consulted because they were expensive and really didn't do shit. They were more <laughs> I mean, like the butchers, right? Like the doctors were considered really more somebody who could come in and just, you know, cut somebody open, right? But we do see some medicinal guides from the same period, right? Like, you know, that doctors write that do also have chapters on mm -hmm. on cocktails and spirits too which is interesting where you know like you know kind of almost you know like a dr spock but for like the 1700s which includes a lot of medicinal cocktails which sound funny today but uh, dave you're right i mean that was cutting edge science i come across a lot of pharmacists manuscripts from like you know the the 18th century uh, 19th century. And th there are a lot of that as well, besides, you know, other compounds, but there is a lot. Of Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. That as well. You get things like a common recipe with Stoughton's bitters, which was uh, supposedly for digestion, but even... Uh, Stoughton, while he was alive, Richard Stoughton, the, the London apothecary who basically invented bitters, he, he advertised his elixir, uh, which everybody else called bitters, but he advertised this stuff as being of a, of a pleasant, bitterish taste. So, so it was, you know, it was sold as much on taste as it was on, on uh, efficacy. It was like, this stuff will settle your stomach, but it also tastes decent, so why not? <laughs> Right. So I've seen that also with um, a lot of the liqueurs that uh, women used to make in the home as well. For example, a blackberry cordial is great in a Kia Royale. It's also apparently a very good remedy for diarrhea. 
So dual purpose. <laughs> Good to know. Well, you, you know what? Uh, I, I think it's funny. You collect uh, American bartenders' guides, uh, at least uh, if one does. Uh, you see these uh, medicinal recipes coming out of things like Mrs. Beaton, you know, out of right. women's uh, women's home guides and and migrating into uh, American bartenders guides, things like blackberry cordial and and uh, and cough remedies and and so on and so forth. It, it, it's it's very interesting to see that, you know, it, it becomes uh, professionalized and, you know, uh, wrapped in this mantle of uh, this is only for professionals, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But these, I mean, these women like uh, Eliza Acton and Isabella Beaton were huge stars <laughs> of oh, their yeah. day. Mm-hmm. Millions of copies uh, of their books sold worldwide. They stayed in print for you know, over a century. Um, even though Isab- Isabella died only a few years after uh, she published the Book of Household Management. Yeah. I have a question. When did the whole temperance thing happen so that these things started falling away from women's books? There is a point, right, where we don't see that yeah, yeah. anymore. You can already see that in the mid-19th century, especially in the English books, where they're still giving drink recipes, but the alcohol content seems to be getting smaller and smaller. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Like, you know, the books like Hannah Glass, I mean, those are full alcohol uh, punches, right. et cetera. And even even Mrs. Beaton's kind of pulling, uh, uh, pulling some of the booze out of her recipes, I've noticed uh, when when you when you compare them to to some of the others. Uh, and, you know, they agree that that was one of the most uh, influential books there was. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, then is now a outsold the bartender's guide by a huge uh, by a huge margin. Yeah, well, I, I would argue that if you look at the collection of women's writings through the years, one of the common themes actually is responsible drinking. It's something that women talk about a lot. And, uh, you know, the first person to publish a completely dry cocktail book in 1920 was Bertha Stockbridge. Uh, so, you know, a, a woman was one of the first people to address the new entertaining dilemmas that came right, about right. as a result of prohibition. Um, and so I think that that's something, again, that's quite distinct about the way women think about res- cocktail recipes in serving them. And, you know, obviously what goes with that is responsibility as the hostess. It's almost like a twin narrative where you have the rise of cocktails and also the rise of the temperance movement, both growing, you know, on separate tracks. And, uh, you know, most people in America, I think, think that, you know, the temperance movement starts, you know, in 1900, right. But it goes back much further, even in Europe and, and both of these, you know, kind of major storylines grow on their own. And, and have different influence but i mean i would argue also that like at the turn of the century when the medical community starts to weigh in on like whether or not some of these bitters or tinctures or other you know uh, medicinal concoctions actually work and you have laws passed at least in america where you know uh disavowing some of this you know what, what was thought as mm-hmm. real science or, or medicine you know it becomes more recreational we definitely see a a huge cleaving and in the uk you know 
all the, you know, top medical journals follow, you know, there's the Royal Commission on Spirits, you know, there are articles about it in all of the top medical journals because doctors want to know whether or not <laughs> what they're prescribing is actually legitimate or if it's, you know, uh, you know, rot gut that's being called cognac mm-hmm. or brandy or whiskey. Or, uh, or actually, rum. another place I've been finding some interesting information is some of these um, old trade catalogs from um, uh, liquor dealers. Um, yeah, and then you can kind of, you can, I mean, it's so cool to see, you know, local stuff that obviously, you know, just lasted a couple of years, but um, that's also a fun fun way to find out like what people were um, making and, and, and distilling, uh, you know, locally. I always found it was very interesting to see the, the different grades of mm. uh, uh, spirit yeah. That companies were selling from absolute fake crap <laughs> to like really, you know, luxury, like guaranteed, you know, we aged these barrels ourselves, et cetera, et cetera. It was, uh, but you had to trust the company, which you look at some of the stuff they're selling and it was like, looking at that, why would I trust your top of the line stuff? You know, because that stuff looks pretty dishonest. Lizzie, are there books that you're beginning to see people like have interest in uh, in the drinks world that previously like, you know, weren't really sought after or, or valuable? Well, I mean, I just think that I, I do think that a lot of people are now going because they're going towards things that are like handwritten. So um, oh, first account of something, again, you know, things are written on the back of things. So they have a double meaning. Um so you can have like a, a, a German immigrant who has brought her cookbook from Germany to the U.S. and she has, um, you know, a recipe written on the back of some important letter. So, I mean, that's why, you know, you never you never take anything out of a book. But um, yeah, so <laughs> all those little pieces of paper. But so uh, especially, um, you know, I deal with universities a lot and they just they're really looking for like the first hand. Um, account of what somebody is doing, how much water they're using, like, because then you can tell, you know, what it took to make these recipes um, and remedies. Um, They can kind of figure out like, you know, where the water source was and what it took to, you know, uh, create this kind of household. So that's also an interesting way of looking at it. So I I should go and write in all my books then? Yes, absolutely. Well, good, because I already do. So <laughs> do you think that like things like, um, you know, I love seeing when somebody has put in a book plate, you know, from like, you know, a hundred, their, their own book plate, you know, mm-hmm. how people would have their own library and would stick it in, in the beginning. Like, is that particularly sought after by collectors or, or is that something that people don't want to see or. Oh, absolutely. And also, um, you know, some of these uh, people who were making the book plates were just incredible artists. I kind of look at it a little bit, almost <laughs> like tattoo artists, you know, in the same way. They have this, they just bring this whole other, um, it brings this whole other thing to yeah. the book. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I love seeing that stuff. I used to uh, years ago, and then I had a stamp, and then I just gave up. <laughs> <laughs> I have too many books. It just it got yes, to the mine point are all full of post-it like, notes. It, you know, uh, 
But I do I do take extensive yeah. notes. Don't give up. Be, being a good academic, I, I do it with a mechanical pencil, but I, I definitely write in, in in any of my books that I use. I, I make my own little index in the back that sometimes right. I remember to consult. It is a kind of an aha moment when you realize that you're allowed to do, it's almost like as a child, oh, yeah. you were told not to write in books. And then I had this moment where I was like, wait a minute, because I was doing the post-it notes too. And then I was like, wait a second, this <laughs> well, is my book. <laughs> a, number, a number of years ago, quite a number of years ago, William Grimes, who uh, wrote you know, this fantastic book on cocktails, mm -hmm. but then he got into other things. And uh, he lived in a small Manhattan apartment. So he gave away his drink books. And he gave me some of them. Oh. And I was shocked when I opened them to find all these notes in ballpoint pen. And, you know, he's, he was a, uh, like <laughs> me, a comp lit PhD. And I expected him to be, you know, a, a, a good obedient, uh, you make all your notes in pencil. But the, the, the boldness and confidence of that just, just shook me to the core. <laughs> <laughs> I would never, I, I could never. No, me I neither, would, I but I, I admired it. Um, it, I have to say. <laughs> from what I remember, Gary Regan, our, our long, um, uh, our beloved colleague, um, former yeah, he, colleague, he, he, he yeah, got the rest yeah. of the I, I think, books, I think right? uh, uh, Mr. Grimes split them between us, uh, which was extremely kind of him. I mean, these were, there were some rare books in there and some old books. And uh, it was, you know, extremely, extremely useful. So that was a, that was a kindness. Nicola, do you want to talk about some of your recent like finds and, and ones that, that you've, you've recently come across that, that have become helpful? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I was really curious about when I was doing my research was the transition from when um, women were writing these sort of household guides and cooking guides. And, you know, it always kind of felt like the recipes were probably, mm -hmm. you know, a few years behind what was maybe happening inside bars, right? And what was what was being published in cocktail books. So I was always looking for what is the first example I can find of, you know, what we might describe as bar recipes in a book authored by a woman. <laughs> and I, I don't, I, I don't know if the one I found is the first one, and perhaps uh, David, you will know. But I believe um, that it was the in the Consolidated Library of Household Cooking mm -hmm. in Volume Five, uh, which was a volume on it was a housekeeping volume uh, by Christine Herrick and Marion Harland, who were a mother daughter duo. Um, their last book was on beverages. And that was published in 1904. So that one is really interesting to me. There were a couple of other books that were also published that year that are exclusively drinks books written by women. But this was the first one I could find right. where you could really recognize bar style recipes um, in one of these books. Um, curious, David, if you've found anything that is that. earlier uh, than that. Not earlier, but uh, one that's explicitly... Uh, marketed to uh, bar book type customers is the bachelor's uh, cupboard. Do you know that one by a Lyman Phillips, where it turns out a turns out re a stands uh, for Amy. Uh, and this was published in Boston, I believe in 1906. So a little bit later, but it's, hmm. it's full of cocktail recipes. Oh, great. I did have that one. And it's, it's very much a, book for sporting gentlemen uh 
that's how it's, you know, I, I think the, the, the drinks recipes were the, a way yeah. of getting people into it. But she also teaches like basic bachelor cooking, which is uh, important and useful, <laughs> you know? especially I think, some, right. I think of some of these poor bastards and what they were feeding them. So yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's terrifying. And that becomes its own big kind of area of books too, where we see like in America, like in the middle of like the forties, fifties, sixties, all of these books that are, are similar to the, to the books that we were talking about, but now aimed at men and bachelors and, you know, obviously Esquire Mm -hmm. publishes a number of them with kind of like this idea of like to be the well-rounded, you know, um, gentleman, you need to know how to make drinks, you know, how to grill you need to know how to play like poker you you know all these skill sets and you get all these interesting books where it's kind of a lot of the same information but it's now repackaged for a different audience yeah, yeah. The, the whole chafing dish <laughs> um cooking that is just i mean they, what they got done on a chafing yeah. dish is, is pretty i think that's amazing. uh, uh a- a- Amy Phillips's book is is heavy on the chafing dish because you couldn't expect these guys to like you know operate a stove or anything <laughs> that was beyond nail capability. <laughs> and and even some of the early James Beard books too. It's interesting that they he kind of grows out of that that area of books too into sort of full on cookbooks from the kind of like bachelor cookbook and cocktail hour you know, drinks. So it's, I mean, it's, I think it's fascinating how, how drinks books kind of, or the drink content kind of morphs over time with changes in, in culture and society and who's making the drinks and who's buying the alcohol and, and making it. The other place I'm finding um, interesting recipes and like, I'd, I'd love to get the, you know, the earliest of all, but like some menus. So like they actually, mm-hmm. some, some old, like, um, restaurant menus. They also have in the margins, you know, a drink recipe. And sometimes the, you know, the name of the, um, the cocktail is different from what you, you know, you would expect these days. But um, that's also a great place because um, as I'm realizing now, I'm going, you know, finally going out <laughs> to some restaurants right now, you know, of course, outdoor outdoors of course but like you know they don't hand you menus anymore so you're getting that you know that whatever you call it yeah the qr code yeah qr code and then i'm sitting here going wow you know i have hundreds and you know thousands of menus in my collection here that i'm you know i need to catalog because oh they've become more important because they're they're not making them anymore it's so sad absolutely Um, a bin of cocktail menus from great cocktail bars around the world and that that collection is basically finished, I guess, you know, but I, I collect menus as well. And you also you get little booklets that uh, bars used to give out with with their recipe. And those are uh, I wish bars would do that still. That's a, a great way of, you know, giving your customers something extra. But uh, I, I collect ones uh, having to do with tequila for some reason. And I have a, a nice little stack of, oh, of yeah. Mexican cocktail recipes and cocktail menus uh, from from the 1930s and 40s and 50s. That uh, that uh, that that's my favorite little collection. I think. Uh, there's and they're also so um, visually exciting. Like mm-hmm. some of the um, uh, like the Seagrams and Taylors and and Myers. Um, and they all just you know put out these fabulous. Um, 
pamphlets, you know? So yeah, I love that stuff. The, 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 you never know what you're going to find, you know, because the, that stuff is in no bibliography. It's nobody knows what was made and you come up with the most fantastic things sometimes uh, things that just like took me completely by surprise. I got a bar book from a bar in Panama uh, that was a sailor's bar in the 1930s that has drinks named after all the various U.S. Navy squadrons that were stationed there. Oh, wow. Uh, and and that, that kind of thing is just amazing. You know, it's like it's never been cataloged. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff like that. Well, thank you uh, both for, for coming on and uh, talking cocktail books. Uh, hopefully uh, we'll, uh, we'll keep finding cool stuff. Hopefully in uh, a couple hundred years, people will be reading the books that we're writing today and <laughs> discussing, uh, discussing them. I have both of them on um, my um, desk right now. <laughs> Amazing. I do. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. And I, I'm just going to say, yeah, my uh, my credit card is uh, looking at me very sadly right now. <laughs> so clearly some things that are missing. <laughs> well, the uh, same, you know. I was, I was I, thinking I, the same thing. Uh, Nicola, yeah. you've given me all kinds of things to uh, to think about and look for. So I'm, I'm very both pleased and a little bit dismayed about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hopefully we can have this conversation again in a while and, and see what's changed and see what's... Uh, what's new in the world of cocktail books, because this is something that's always interesting, I think. Yeah, I would love that. Come on back. Cheers. 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 Dave and I encourage you to drink responsibly always. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.